helping people cope with and overcome life's challenges. This is Life Transformations with Michael Hart, Canadian Certified Counselor and Award-Winning Psychotherapist. Hi, thank you for joining us in this episode of the Life Transformation Radio Show. Today is part two of the series, Rebuilding Self-Esteem. Yes, last week we looked at the first part in this two-part series of Rebuilding Self-Esteem. And today we are going to continue. I think last week we covered three of the six points, three of the six steps of Rebuilding Self-Esteem. And we're going to look at three other uh, areas that need to be considered in overcoming low self-esteem. And with me in studio today is Melissa Waggott, and I'm your host, Michael Hart of Elim Counseling Service. And thank you very much for joining us in this episode of the Life Transformation Radio Show. And welcome again, Melissa. It's good to have you here in studio with us today. It's so great to be back, Michael. And I'm so excited to delve into part two. Last week was so great getting to discuss this topic with you. And we encourage you, if you missed last week's show, to check it out on our website at elimcounselingministry.com. Elim is spelled E-L-I-M, counseling with two L's, ministry.com. Or you can call us at 613-699-1677 to get a copy of last week's show. But today we are get, continuing to delve in deep on some really practical strategies that people can start using to help break free of um, low self-esteem and start rebuilding really healthy self-concept. And last week we were just beginning to talk on um, how certain types of negative thought patterns can affect our self-esteem. And you were walking us through what t- um, types of thought patterns we can get stuck in. And I'm wondering if you can refresh our memory on a few of those and start to highlight a few other ones that we'll be talking about today. Yeah, so last week we, we talked about the tendency, one of the thought patterns that has to do with minimizing the positive and thinking more about the negative. So a person in that situation, they might have had many praise for work that they have done uh, at work or maybe in a church setting. They may have been praised for a number of different projects that they have worked on that has turned out to be fantastic. But they might be just one person or one comment that wasn't quite appraised, like maybe you should do this, try this this way next time, and they will forget all of the mountain of positive comments that were made and all the praise that have been heaped on them, and they will remember that one negative comment and have sleepless nights about it. So that's that's maximizing this one comment to make it worth more than all of the other positive things that were said. So why do people do that? I think in, in, a, in a lot of ways, it, it has to do with, it's tied to self-esteem again, because if you really believe that you are a failure, that you will never amount to nothing, that you're not capable of good works or capable of doing great things, then you don't really internalize the positive things that are said about you or said or, or praise that were given to you, you will latch on to what fits more with your internal dialogue. So that person who said, maybe you should try it this way, that that now uh, fits the internal dialogue that say you can't do anything right. And then it become magnified into a whole new 
new uh, a whole new meaning that say you're worthless, you're good for nothing, you can't do anything right. But in fact, the person was not saying that. And really, it's feeding back, like we talked about last week, that negative core belief that we have of ourselves. It's affirming that. Whereas, as you said, those praise that praise that we're getting doesn't quite jive with how we're actually seeing ourselves, which is why it's so much more easy to dismiss than that one negative comment because that fits more with how we're seeing ourselves at that time. Yes, yes. And one of the other uh, things that we didn't touch on, one of the other negative way or negative thought patterns that I think it's important for us to look at but that we didn't talk about next week is also very similar to, to what we have talked about before, but catastrophizing. Catastrophizing takes on uh, this, this make things into make molehills into mountains. So there might be uh, something that is not quite working out in your relationship. So it might be that you're having problem in your finances, like maybe you were late in paying a bill for the first time, and you go into a state of panic because the internal thought patterns uh, say that there is going to be a catastrophe. You're going to lose your house and it becomes from it moves from just missing a bill payment to now you have worked out this whole uh, this whole movie in your head where you have lost your house you're living on the street and you have to be begging food from friends and, and it, be, it becomes this nightmare when in fact you you have just missed one bill payment. So catastrophizing keeps us paralyzed and, and, and takes away a lot of our energy. And in a lot of ways, it has to do with low self-esteem as well. Because again, as I've said before, if your entire internal dialogue says you're a failure, even if you're living in a palace, you're going to be feeling like Everything that happens is pulling you in the direction of poverty. And so uh, people who are, who are in these places where they're catastrophizing everything, they need to stop and examine and ask themselves, where is this coming from? And to, to get help to overcome this way of thinking, because in, in the midst of plenty, you can be feeling as if you have nothing. In the midst of paradise, you can feel as if you're living in hell. In the midst of happiness, you can be sad. And so catastrophizing robs us of the joy that that and the blessings of of feeling that we're living the blessings that God has in store for us. And how p- quickly do people catastrophize? Is it almost like an instant reaction, or does it build up over time? In in a lot of cases that I've seen, it it's it's instant. They're reacting to a situation, and the reaction is an emotional one that triggers uh, fear that causes the mind to become focused on all of the possible things that are going to go wrong. And in, in the midst of catastrophizing, it doesn't, it doesn't feel as if it's not real. It feels as if it's happening now. So even though you, as the example that I give about the bill payment, even though you might have just missed one bill payment, the feeling that comes from it is like you have already lost your house, your car, and you're living on the street. And so it's an instant gut reaction. And so it's important to realize that this is an emotional reaction. Uh, if we think of, back to the story of Elijah, we saw that Elijah in his weak moments when he was on 
Mount Carmel after when, when he was fleeing from Jezebel because she threatened his life. In that state of his life, he catastrophized as well. And the example of that is when Elijah said that, I am the only one left of all your prophets, and now they're trying to kill me. So Elijah has created this scenario in his head where everyone else that serves God is 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 dead. And he's the only living person on the planet that is serving God. And now his life is in jeopardy. When in truth and in fact, God told him later on in the narrative that he had 7,000 more people. So that could be an example of catastrophizing as well. He had this catastrophe, made the situation in a catastrophe, when in fact it was not. It's interesting when you brought up the emotion piece of it. It reminded me of things we've talked about in the past and how when you have an emotional response to things, how you store that memory and that feeling, it's different than when you're storing those things in sort of emotion-neutral settings and they kind of live longer or more vivid. So does this also create that cycle of getting back into those catastrophic type pictures more easily once you've sort of gone through it a couple times? Yes, absolutely. Because the way our mind works is that it's like a muscle. The mind is like a muscle. And if you practice something, you become very good at it. And it's the same way if you think certain patterns of thought, then those pathways in your brain, those those pathways of neurons that neurons fire in your brain becomes like a well-traveled road that is easier to travel on. And so when another situation comes up, if you have been doing this repeatedly, the the the, the, the natural instinct, the way your brain will fire is to see everything as catastrophe. Your brain GPS is set already, Absolutely. I guess. Absolutely. That's a good way of looking at it. What other <laughs> modern time analogy? So what other thought, negative thought patterns do people get stuck in? The other pattern is, is, is a reaction. And this reaction is a way of coping as well. But it's a very maladaptive and dysfunctional way of coping. And it can be looked upon as being virtue, uh, as if a person is being godly when they're caught up in this pattern. But so, so it, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a way of, of thinking that's, that, that, that helps people to cope. And it's called reaction formation. And reaction formation is when you have a thought to deal with something. You know something is not going right. It's not going well. And your initial thought is, I don't like the way that this person is treating me. Uh, this person is mean. They have belittled me in front of others several times. And I really should do something about it. But you don't have the self-esteem or you don't have the assertiveness to do anything about it. So reaction formation kicks in and said, you know what, I should really do something nice for this person. And so it is seen as a kind of virtue because you can easily say, well, I'm following God's command to do good to my enemies. And so instead of acting on 
on challenging the situation, you have this reaction that comes from negative thought that makes you know act in a way that you're you're acting to the person the opposite way that you really feel to act or you should be acting. And so I know some people listening to this will say, "Well, isn't this a biblical thing? Hasn't God called us to do good?" To you, our you're enemies? reading my mind, Michael, because I was going to say, "Isn't that what we've always been taught?" And truthfully, what's wrong with being kind to someone? And maybe showing them how you would like to be treated and setting a very positive example of behavior. You're, yeah. you're not sinking to their level. Absolutely. And I think when, when Jesus talks about doing good to our enemies, he's talking about doing good to our enemies not out of fear, but out of love. Not out of a feeling of inadequacy of not knowing who we are in Christ, but out of realizing that we are, we, we are, we are, we are, we are God's children, and that we we have a a level of self-esteem that say, I'm doing this not because I am weak, but because I am strong. And I think uh, people sometimes act out of negative thoughts, out of fear, and they're hiding behind this pretense that they're just doing good. So a, a vivid example of this that comes to mind is is one uh, lady who came to me several years ago, and she said, I, I'll never forget, she said, the people in my church, they think that I am so virtuous because of how I am, re- how I am reacting to my ex-husband who has abused me and done all manner of evil to me. They think I am being virtuous. They think because of all these good things I'm doing to him that I have virtue. But she said, Michael, I am not doing these things because I am virtuous. I'm doing them because I am afraid. And I think that's the difference because she's doing this not out of obedience to God, but she's doing this because she's afraid that if she doesn't do it, that he's going to do more harmful things to her. And that's not virtue at all. That's just uh, because of fear or because of low self-esteem sometimes that the people think that they don't deserve better. They let people treat them like doormats. And God has not called us like to... Jesus was not a doormat for the Pharisees and to the people in his days. If he had low self-esteem, he could have had this reaction formation way of thinking where he's just doing good to the Pharisees and, you know, just being nice to them and not saying anything that would cause them to be upset because he's afraid they might be upset. But Jesus wasn't living like that. Jesus challenged them head on. He, 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 he told them about their hypocrisy. And this is, this is to me a reflection of someone who had very high self-esteem that yes, he could be kind to those that he needed to be kind to. He could forgive the woman at the, uh, the woman caught in an act of adultery. He could treat the woman at the well with courtesy and respect and, and treat her with, with, make her feel that she had dignity. But he could also stand up to the Pharisees and let them know that what they were doing is wrong. And oftentimes, low self-esteem causes us to act the same way to everyone. 
we are just being kind to everyone. And we're not just being kind in a good way. We are kind because of the dysfunction and the damage that has been done to us. If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Life Transformation Show. Today we're talking about rebuilding self-esteem. This is part two of a two-part series. If you've missed the first half of the show or the first part of the series, we encourage you to listen to it at our website, elamcounselingministry.com. Elam is spelled E-L-I-M, counseling with two L's, ministry.com. Or you can always call us at 613-699-1677 to get a copy of the show or to give us feedback on today's show or topics you'd like to see in the future. At this time, we also want to remind you of an exciting event we have coming up in November. On the weekend of November 17th, we have, um, are we on four years now, Michael, or three for our retreats? Three years. Three years. Time Mm -hmm. is flying. And so we have another retreat in Lanark in the greater Ottawa area. And Michael, you just wanted to share with our listeners how they can get their name on this list and what they can expect from this exciting weekend. Yes, let me say, first of all, that it's very important if you if you plan to come to this retreat to register early. The retreat is going to be, as the name suggests, a healing retreat. And when we talk about healing, we, we are talking about emotional healing primarily. But we have seen uh, people who have come out to these retreats who have experienced physical healing as well. And so a lot of times the, the, the physical is tied to the emotional and we see people who have had back pains that doctors couldn't find anything that is wrong wrong anything that was was wrong with them that is causing these pain and they have received healing because they have dealt with the emotional stuff so this weekend retreat is a way to a, a time to get away to be to to spend time reflecting on god and and reflecting on 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 yourself help dealing with those things in your life that maybe you haven't dealt with because life has just been too busy or just because you you haven't had the help to deal with them, with those things. And so we are going to have uh, a team of prayer partners, and uh, these prayer partners are going to be, uh, they are volunteers who will be working with the guests for the weekend, uh, praying with them, and just walking with them, being on this journey. I think it's a very sacred journey that for people who come to this retreat, and a lot of people who have come have had their lives profoundly changed. So again, it's on the 17th of November, and it's in Lanark. It's from Friday afternoon until Sunday morning, and it's a, it's a, it's the seventeenth. And again, if you plan to come, uh, register early. And I also want to say that we have an early bird deadline, which is the first of November. So you save fifty dollars off the cost of the retreat by registering before the first of November. So you can go to our website at elimcounselingministry.com, e l i m counseling with two l's ministry.com to find out more about the retreat. We hope to see you there. It's going to be a wonderful weekend. And if you can't join us, we ask you very sincerely to pray for us and those who will be joining us that weekend. So, Michael, what other ways can we begin to build up our self-esteem? What other patterns or thought processes do we need to break? When we talk about uh, negative thoughts, I think it's one thing to be able to identify the negative thoughts. But it's another thing to be able to deal with them in a way 
way that you can you can get over them. And so a, a big part of building self-esteem is to be able to to silence that inner voice that tells you that you're no good, that tells you that you will you you will always be a failure. And so one of the strategies that we use is to have uh, the, the 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 people who come in to work on these issues to have them begin to look at evidence that would support the negative ways that they're thinking and evidence that would contradict it. So it's sort of like a courtroom where you have, you know, two sides. You 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 have the two sides arguing against each other and said, okay, this person is guilty, you know, of a crime. What what is the evidence? This person is charged of a, with a crime. Sorry, what's the evidence that this person is guilty? Let's look at the set of facts that would show that. But also, let us look at the facts that show that maybe this person could not have committed the crime. So if you put your, yourself on the stand and said, okay, you're accusing yourself of, be, of, of being a failure. Okay, let's look at the evidence in your life that may prove that that is true. And just be honest with yourself. And when, when I do this with people, it's very interesting because people start by saying, yes, you know, I'm a failure because, like, you know, I remember that, you know, I failed grade three. I had to do grade three twice and everyone else, all my friends went up to the other grade and I had to stay back and it was so embarrassing and I just felt like a failure my whole life has felt like a failure since then. So I said, is there anything else that would make you feel uh, that that's true, that you're a failure? If you're saying to yourself you're a failure, is there any other evidence? And they would say things like, yes, you know, I remember that I lost my first job. Is there anything else? And at, at some point, they run out of ideas. And then I would say, is there other evidence in your life that shows that you're not a failure? And then these same people who would be focusing on the fact that they say they, they failed grade three would say, well, you know, I've gone on to complete university. I have started a business. Right? I have a successful marriage. I, I have leadership positions in my church. I am a good mother or a good father. I'm a good friend. And the list goes on and on. So it's important to be able to have that internal dialogue that challenge these ways that you're thinking of yourself that say, for example, I'm a failure. Because when you think about that, it's a global statement that identifies you with failing. But there's so many other things in your life that, that, that you can point to that you're successful at. And when people begin to have this dialogue, they realize that, wait a minute, I may have failed grade two or grade three. I may have lost my first job, but I'm far from being a failure. And by practicing this over and over each time the thought comes, their, 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 their brain, the, the way they, they think in their brain is restructured to know where they can, they, they can, they can equivocally say, unequivocally say that I am not a failure. It really seems like you're trying to take that personalization of those labels off of the person themselves and getting them to step away and, as you say, look at their behaviors and the other evidence. Right. Because you're really trying to change how they're seeing themselves. Is there any other ways we can counter our negative thought patterns? I think another way of countering our negative thought patterns is to keep track of the 
the, the, the negative thought, but also to come up with an alternate, more balanced thought. So if the negative thought is, I'm a failure, and you have looked at the facts that say, well, I did fail grade three, but I also went on to complete university, or even if I didn't complete university, I, I've, I've started a business, and, or I'm working, and I'm doing well in my job. As you look at that evidence, it's, it's important to go back to the automatic way of thinking and rewrite a new statement that contradicts that. So the new statement, uh, it's not just positive thinking because I think positive thinking by itself doesn't wor- work. It's more balanced thinking. So the balanced thought could say something like, yes, I did fail grade two. Yes, I did lose my first job, but I have now gone on to... Uh, to have a successful job, to raise a successful family, and therefore I am not a failure. I may have failed at some things, but I am far from being a failure. Or it might say something to the effect that, yes, I may have failed at these things, but I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me, and I have great potential because of who Christ has created me to be. So you can bring your faith into it. You can bring scriptures into it. And as you begin to think this way, Way, your self-esteem will begin to be rebuilt. You're reprogramming that GPS in yes. your head, right? Yes. What other things can we do to rebuild our self-esteem? I think a very important thing is to nurture your younger self. A lot of the damage that has been done to us has been done in our childhood. So Mephibosheth lost his dad and his, his grandfather, King Saul, at a very young age age and it impacted his entire life. The incident that resulted in their death, which was a war, resulted in him being crippled. It's the servant girl who was running with Mephibosheth uh, dropped him or fell with him and he became crippled in both feet. So the things that happened to us in our childhood can have tremendous, uh, not just physical effect, but, but primarily emotional effect. Many of us are not crippled in both feet, but we have been crippled in our mind, in our mind, the way that we think has been affected because of what happens early in life. So by nurturing your younger self, it's as if you are going back in time and God can go back in time and do that healing because God stands outside of time. He's the only one that can do that. He can He can change the past. We can, but God can. So when you invite God back into your past, one thing that you can do by nurturing your younger self is to say, God, I'm inviting you to go back to that incident, into that incident with me. I, I might have been, af- I might be afraid on my own, but I, I am going back there with you. And you can, you know, envision uh, holding God's hand, going there with Him, or just being with God in that feared place and dealing with that fear that has caused you to to be paralyzed. So I think it's very important to to nurture that younger self. Another way we can nurture that younger self is to praise your younger self. Maybe you have you have grown up believing that you're, you 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 failed in certain things in your younger self, and you have been heaping shame on that younger person, that younger part of yourself. But what are some of the things that you were good at? Begin to praise that younger part of yourself to say, you know what, you may have failed at these things, but you were such a good athlete. 
you were such a good good boy or a good girl. You may have done some bad things, but how about these other good things that you have done? That was very noble of you for doing these things. So there's always something that you can find to praise about your younger self. Another important way of rebuilding self-esteem is forgiving our younger self. Many of us are holding on to things that we did in our teenage years. And we may not have talked about it with anyone, but it is causing grief. And so how can you begin to unpack those feelings that you've held down for so long and you haven't addressed? You know, sometimes it's hard, Melissa, because some of the the people that I talk to, they have little, I would say, little black boxes of their life that they haven't looked at for years, and it's a scary place to go. So sometimes in nurturing your younger self and forgiving your younger self, you need the help of someone who is trained, someone who is not going to condemn you, someone who who is objective and who is going to be impartial, who can sit with you and go through it with you and not condemn you. Because it's very important, because if you don't forgive your younger self, a lot of times the low self-esteem issues that we are living in our 40s and 50s are because we haven't forgiven ourselves for things that we have done before. So we see ourselves as being worthless and we, we play the part. We see ourselves as being inadequate and we play the part. But if you can forgive your younger self, praise your younger self, invite God into your past, you can get to a place where you get into this healthy state of mind, this healthy way of thinking, where you begin to feel, as God says, that I can do all things and I'm a child of a king. And so I see that we are quickly out of time for today, Melissa. It's such a wonderful time discussing these issues with you and and I wish I had more time to Me too. It was great joining you again, Michael. Until next time. Okay, and thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Life Transformation Radio Show. Again, I invite you to remember our retreat that is coming up on the 17th of November at Lanark. You can give us a call at 613-699-1677 if you'd like to attend this healing retreat, or you can register online at elimcounselingministry.com. Elim is spelled E-L-I-M, counseling with two L's, ministry.com. And again, this is your host, Michael Hart of Elim Counseling Services. And Melissa Waggett. Praying together that God would bless you in all your relationships and to keep you sound in mind and pure in heart.